This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He played. Oh, he's the one. Pussy up the right sideline. He's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Hello and welcome to the Republic of Football Sunday Recap Edition. I'm Ishmael Johnson, joined by Mike Craven. Mike, what's up, buddy? Not much. How's it going? Good, good. I was uh I was hoping to have a great uh Premier League weekend. And unfortunately the Barclays made a call for <laughs> to 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 mess with Liverpool there at the end. Uh because City lost, and I was hoping that Liverpool would hold Tottenham to a draw with nine men. I was like, oh, this is gonna be great. And then Barclays decided they wanted to take control of Joel Matip's foot and put a put a goal there at the last minute. <laughs> Yeah, if the uh, make-believe red card early wasn't enough, they uh, disallowed a goal because the VAR thought that it was a goal. Like, it was so obvious that they assumed it was a goal. Uh, and so they said they the recommended same. no and, yeah, review. Just, yeah, just brutal. Just yeah, absolutely just brutal. Bad. Yep. I screamed um, in the DKR press box. <laughs> yeah, understandable. Understandable. Um, of course, everyone's favorite Mal Pal, Mallory Harley joining us. Hi, Mallory. Hi. Been better. Got to watch my team lose to probably the worst offense in the FBS yesterday. So I've been better. I have been uh, better. Did I guess technically I'm trying to think what's the what's the point per game that Brian Ferentz, for those of you that don't know, of course, Michigan State lost to Iowa, but what's the points per game that Brian Ferentz has to hit? I think it's 24, uh, 25. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because he got 26. Geez. Okay. So he's we like, also he's lost. Right to... He's definitely not on pace for it. I know that much. No. <laughs> we we lost to their backup too. Cade McNamara got hurt early in the first quarter. So well, we lost double. to a gonna, backup go quarterback who is built like a tight end. Like, <laughs> he's going to go into negotiations like that actually counts as like 35 points. It was the yeah. backup <laughs> That counts as double, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Of course, you guys know uh, this recap edition. We're going to go through our games of the week, and then we're going to go reverse powerful order, which Craven just put out. Uh, if you're, I mean, when you're listening to this, it's already out now as we're recording, so it's definitely going to be out when you're listening. All right, so we're going to start at the one that Craven was at yesterday in DKR, a game that I thought initially was going to be one way, started going another, and then kind of finished the way I figured. Uh, Texas 40, Kansas 14. Jalen Daniels, uh, some big news came out. Unfortunately, re-aggravated a back injury, uh, missed the game. Jason Bean came in. And f- I mean, again, it, it helped by a freak play in the in, in toward the beginning where Jalen uh Jason Bean kind of got hit just before his knee hit. And I can't remember who he lateraled it to or fumbled it to. It was a Neil. I couldn't remember. I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, right. Uh, but, but, a wide receiver running back picked it up and took it in. Yeah, and that kind of like that really gave a jolt to Kansas. They were moving the ball pretty well early. Um, but of course, Texas just, I kind of looked at it as like Texas kind of remembered, like, oh, yeah, we're playing a backup quarterback. We kind of are a different gear right now on offense. Um, Craven, I want to get to your thoughts in a minute. But the one thing that stood out to me was this game is kind of a summary of how this year's Texas, to me at least, is a complete opposite of what we've seen. This is a team that turns it on in the second half, as opposed to enters in a cruise control. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian, you know, it kind of was notorious for kind of coaching himself at or uh, coaching opponents back into games, things like that. This is a team that kind of 
in my opinion, hits a new gear. And we can talk about Jonathan Brooks and kind of what he's done. But what did you kind of see there um, being on the scene? Yeah, I mean, it, it just seems like a Texas team that's starting to wear out opponents. That offensive line starts wearing on people. That defensive line starts wearing on people. It was really hot yesterday in Austin, the 2.30 kickoff. They, they ran the ball a lot in the first half. And you could just tell if they stuck to that script, they were eventually going to break Kansas, and, and they did. You know, mm-hmm. Jason Bean hit Trevor Wilson on a 58-yard touchdown to make it 20-14 to 14 with like 11 and a half minutes to go in the third quarter. And it kind of looked like, Okay, well, is this going to be one of those games that that Texas is in this until the last minute, or you know that they eventually lose? And um, they're just a different team, as, as you mentioned. Um, you know, they've scored over thirty points in each of their five wins. All five wins have been by double digits. Um, they've outscored opponents one hundred to twenty-eight in the second half, uh, fifty-six to fifteen in the fourth quarter. They haven't allowed a fourth-quarter point since Alabama in week two. Um, and so, you know, they're they're starting to right some of those wrongs uh, that the Longhorns have had under under Steve Sarkeesian. I think if you're we're nitpicking, it's just you know trying to figure that out for four quarters, especially at home. Um, you know, they kind of slept walk through the first half against Rice, kind of slept walked you know first half or first three quarters against Wyoming, uh, and then yesterday, you know, they never punted, uh, but only had you know I think 17 points in the first half or 20 points in the first half, whatever it was, and so. Uh, They just didn't finish drives. They missed a couple field goals. There was an interception by Quinn towards the end of the first half. And so plenty to work on, um, but they did almost anything that they wanted to do during that game against Kansas and eventually just broke through. Yeah. And how big is, I mean, the emergence of Jonathan Brooks. I mean, I, I was skeptical of him being able, I'm skeptical of anybody being able to take over for B. John Robinson, but I figured, you know, B. John was such a feature back for them that I thought it would be, almost impossible for any one running back this year to come in and take over the feature back role. I figured it'd be a combination of him, Jadon Blue and CJ Baxter and kind of, you know, kind of like making it work. I thought they were all talented enough to get it done, but he's now firmly established himself as the guy in this backfield um, with still depth behind him. So if, you know, if they need to take him out for a couple of plays, they have that option, but you know, what, what's it like watching him play and like kind of see him flourish from the, the, the three-star guy from Hallettsville, right. To now being, you know, the second, the second, uh, the guy inheriting this backfield from B. John Robinson, who's in the NFL right now. Hey, it's really cool. And it's one of the the cooler stories in the state right now because of what he went through, right? I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's Mr. Texas football, but at a three, a school, he goes to the university of Texas and he's behind, you know, two of the best running backs of the last 10 or 15, 20 years at, at the University of Texas, right? But John Robinson's probably, you know, up there with Ricky Williams, Cedric Benson, uh, Earl Campbell in terms of like all-time Texas greats. Rashawn Johnson ended up being a third-round draft pick, right? So you yep. sit behind those two guys. It's finally going to be your chance. You know, in the transfer portal era, you wait, you wait, you wait. It's finally going to be your chance. And then this badass five-star freshman comes in from Florida right. and takes your job. You know, he, yeah. he started the first game. Mm-hmm. Um, against rice and so it looked like it was going to be cj baxter's show and jonathan brooks didn't put his head down he didn't quit he didn't sulk he waited for his opportunity he iced the game against alabama uh, and then he goes over 100 yards for three consecutive games after that he's rushed for 487 yards in the last three games combined right i mean yeah. he's on pace to be a 1400 yard rusher uh this regular season and sark you know before the before the season sark was pretty adamant about like somebody's going to step up and rush for 100 for over a thousand yards like I, he said that he's had a thousand 
yard rusher every single year he's ever called plays as an offensive coordinator as a head coach and so we just assumed it was going to be baxter because he started the season and he's so highly touted and you know here comes the cj baxter area era Uh, but it's obviously jonathan brooks you know his big play potential is is awesome you know, I don't think he's, he's obviously not Bajon Robinson, but with the improvement of the offensive line, the improvement of Quinn Ewers, the weapons on the outside, uh, this version of Jonathan Brooks has been more than enough uh, to help Texas, you know, become balanced and maybe even more than balanced. Like I know Ewers, you know, ended up throwing for under over 300 yards yesterday, but it felt like Brooks was carrying the offense more than Ewers was right. Like 100%. the run game was the staple of that offense and that opened up the passing game. So if all of a sudden defenses have to start worrying about Jonathan Brooks, as much as they worry about Xavier worthy and, you know, Adonai Mitchell and and JT Sanders, if JT Sanders emerges healthy after this one, um, all of a sudden, I don't, I don't really know how you stop the Texas offense. You just hope they stop themselves. Yeah. One thing I do, we can, we can move on after this, uh, but there's one thing that is kind of, I don't want to say concerning because I do think this Texas team is legit. I think they've earned their number three poll rating. And, you know, I, I do think they do. I, I firmly consider themselves in this playoff slash national title hunt. I, how concerned are you on a low, on a scale of one to 10 that they have not really, because of last night's or yesterday's injury, have not really faced a quarterback probably capable of testing them yet. Um, I thought we'd get that yesterday. Um, I think we probably assumed a little bit too much of uh, at the time of Jalen Milrow. Maybe that's just a down Alabama year, but they've played. I mean, JT Daniels is probably the best quarterback they've played so far, right? Uh, for Rice. And they've played a backup quarterback for Baylor, uh, a quarterback roulette at Bama with Jalen Milrow, who's probably the best they have. And then of course, Jason Bean yesterday, they get Dylan Gabriel uh, next weekend for Oklahoma, who may end up being the best quarterback they play all year. If we're being honest, um, you know, how, how concerned are you? I, I, I don't know. I'm concerned in the grand scheme of things, but I also don't think they need to be tested to still make the playoff. Yeah, I guess that would be my answer. I mean, I'd be concerned once they made a semifinal, but I don't know who the best quarterback they're going to play is, you know, right. probably a Dylan Gabriel, as you mentioned. So, you know, it's just one of those weird years. Across, I think that's the reason college football has so much parity. And the reason the Pac-12 is so good this year is they're, they're the only ones with quarterbacks, quarterbacks. or at least sure. with a stash of them. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think Texas is, is in is in a position where the reason I think they can run the table or at least go 12 and one with a big 12 title is because they never have to play a badass quarterback that's really going to, to punish them. Because I think the one Achilles heel for Texas mm-hmm. is man on man coverage deep down the field with their safeties. If sure. you can isolate their safeties and get vertical against a Jaron Thompson or a Keaton Crawford, even a Jade Barron, like you're going to have some success down the field. The trick is, how do you block Texas for long enough to do that? And do you have wide receivers and quarterbacks that are good enough to do that consistently? Um, So far, nobody had. Jalen Milrow hit a couple, but they couldn't do it consistently. Um, I think Kansas tried a few times, but they either couldn't block Texas or they couldn't make that pass. And so, uh, you know, I I think that's the advantage for the Longhorns. And I I just – it's getting to the point where if they can get past Oklahoma next week – I don't really know what stops Texas other than Texas. I think we've reached that point of the programming. Yeah. And we'll get, we'll get to the rest of the, how kind of the rest of the teams unfolded this weekend to kind of back up that point. Um, all right. So let's move on to our second game, AM and Arkansas. This one finished at the score right here. There we go. Uh, AM 34, Arkansas 22. Of course, the 18 in the inside AT&T. Um, 
this one, I mean, <laughs> we mentioned with Jay Arnold, we had Jay Arnold on the midweek show, and I'm sure you talked about it with him. This game's always weird. Um, <laughs> doesn't matter really what team, how the teams are doing. Uh, this one looked like this one was 17 to three at one point. Mm-hmm. And then Max Johnson threw a pick six on a random screen that looked like a pedestrian screen and Arkansas got back in this one. And then, uh, on a keeper, uh, it looked like a was driving again, or they were about to drive again. Max Johnson lowers his shoulder, fumbles the ball, Arkansas gets it back. Um, and then on a couple of drives later, KJ Jefferson tip ball AM gets a pick six and eventually AM kind of weathers the storm and, and is able to uh just kind of pull away. And I guess, I mean, credit to the Aggie defense, they were never really really in trouble on that side of the ball. It was turnovers, it was you know being put in bad positions. I mentioned the Max Johnson turnovers. Um, honestly, this is gonna sound weird, but aside from the turnovers, I thought Max Johnson was pretty good um in this game. Um you know, I for all the skies falling and, you know, Connor Wigman's out for the year and all that. I mean, it looked like Max Johnson was going to be out for a little bit, which, you know, he luckily finished the game. But is AM looking pretty okay right now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that Texas AM is the second best team in the SEC West. Uh, you know, since since we all wrote our DJ Dirk and hit pieces a couple of weeks ago, and <laughs> I say we all because, like, there was, like, six publications, including myself, that did it. Uh, Texas A&M has 14 sacks and 30 tackles for losses in two games combined in the SEC, right? And that Auburn team pushed Georgia. So like we can make fun of Auburn all all we want to, but you know, they looked pretty good the next week or Arkansas scored over 30 against LSU. And then all of a sudden couldn't really move the ball. As you mentioned, you know, seven of those points are are directly off a turnover. And I think three more were off of a different one, you know? And so the defense has played really well. Uh, it looks like Durkin's finally just admitted to himself that like, oh yeah, we were really talented and we should just go hunt people. Like, oh, let's just go like, screw this sitting around waiting to see what the offense does. Like, let's just go get after some folks. And it, it's really worked for them. They had 13 sacks all of 2022 and they have 14 in the SEC through two games. So uh, they have, I mean, an unbelievable amount of talent defensively. They should be one of the five best defenses in the country. Like they mm-hmm. just from a talent standpoint alone, they're starting to play that way. I, you know, I, I mean, our argument's the wrong word because Jay and I don't really like argue on the show, but I didn't push back on Jay that I, I didn't think that the expectations changed when Connor Wigman went down. Like, I, I don't think quarterback is going to be a thing that dictates Texas A&M seasons between 10 and two and eight and four, right? To me, that's going to be about the defense and the offensive line. You know, I think Wigman and Johnson are pretty comparable. I think Wigman's upside is much higher but when you have an Evan Stewart and Anaya Smith, a Jake Johnson at tight end, a decent running game, like your job is to be a facilitator. You don't have to go, you know, throw for 600 yards and be Trevor Lawrence or anything. Just be a good quarterback who doesn't turn the football over uh, and, and isn't the reason your team loses. And this de- defense should be good enough to keep you in most games. The SEC West is down. You know, I yeah. don't know how much everybody's paying attention to it, but uh, it's not very good. You know, they get Alabama next week at home. If AM can win that, they got a tiebreaker against AM and are all by themselves alone in the SEC West, you know. And so uh, it's all there in front of uh, in front of AM. Um, they're a really good football team. And, and when they're not turning the ball over, I think they're a top 15, top 20 team in the country for sure. Yeah. I think that we talked about Texas backfield. Now, obviously, AM doesn't have the, the Jonathan Brooks type of emergence, but 
I mean, Le'Veon Moss, Amari Daniels, like Ruben, like these guys are good, right? Le'Veon Moss, I think he's kind of positioning himself as maybe the feature back. He was a sledgehammer yesterday, uh, over hundred yards on the ground. Uh, again, he's six foot two ten. Like he, there was that one touchdown. I think that sealed it. That just like everybody, he just rammed in the middle and then just the whole line just moved the mound into the end zone. And it feel like, again, whether it's a, I think it is like, I think, I think, when everybody was arguing like, okay, is it Jimbo's offense? Is it Petrino's offense? People thought it started like the season started. Okay. It's Petrino's offense. I do think there are still some Jimbo elements in there. You know, uh, we, I mentioned the goal, some of the goal line packages. I was like, okay, yeah, Bobby Petrino's not running those, you know, under center stuff, right? That's Jimbo kind of putting his maybe fingerprints on it. But like you mentioned, when the quarterback position went out, when the quarterback position changed with Wigman's injury, you brought in Bobby Petrino to not only raise the ceiling of Wigman, but to kind of raise the floor of the offense. And like you mentioned, the 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 variance maybe or the, the ceiling may be lower, but Max Johnson just looks better right now. He looks like he has the ability to stretch the field. And as we saw against Texas, if you have a game-breaking wide receiver and a quarterback who can just hit a deep ball. Alabama can be gotten this year, right? You can see, I mean, Evan Stewart's good enough to stretch that defense. Um, Anaya Smith's good enough to carve through that defense. It's going to be down to, can they frustrate guys like Jalen Milrow with that defensive front, which sure so far, um, so far looks like, looks like they can. I believe Arkansas uh, had 39 carries for 42 yards. Of course, sacks count against that, but still they weren't able to run the ball at all. Raheem Sanders finished with 34 yards on 11 carries, right? So Anim's playing the brand of football that they want to play right now. And even despite the injury, they look probably more or less healthy everywhere else. Um, and that's that's going to be massive if they can. I mean, like you mentioned, it looks like a down year in the SEC West. Um, and it, they can f- take full advantage of it next week with a massive win like that over Bama. Did I see that when Evan Stewart biggest... got hurt yesterday? Did he get hurt he came, yesterday? He came back in. Okay. Uh, he, had, he had been dinged up and then he, he came back in later on in the game. Okay. Um, I don't know what Alabama's advantage is over Texas A&M. Right now, yeah, I, I don't either. I straight up don't. It's it's uh-uh. and that's theoretically crazy. theoretically coaching, but Jimbo's always coached well against Saban. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean maybe offensive line, but I think A&M's defensive line is better than Alabama's defensive line. So I don't know. It's not like A&M's offensive line has to go up against Alabama's offensive line, right? And so, right. Um, yeah, I mean I, I think A&M's as good, if not better, at quarterback. They're definitely better out wide. You know, I think it's pretty much a push in the, in the trenches. I think, you know, I think this is going to come down to like secondaries and who's, who's passing offense can be better. And I'll take Texas A&M's passing offense over Alabama's passing offense. And so, um, you know, I think the scary part for Texas A&M is the secondary Uh, Auburn and Arkansas haven't been able to test that. And I don't know if Alabama can either. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, that may work in Texas A&M's advantage as well. But yeah, I mean, I think for, it's easy to talk about Texas A&M's non-football stuff. Right. To talk right. about the Jimbo and the Petrino and the Durkin and just kind of the buyout and what's going to happen there. But if we're just talking on football field stuff from 2023, I mean, they've been the second best team in the state and it hasn't really been that close. And if that defense starts playing that way, I mean, all of a sudden this is a legit SEC contender. It just is. Yep. All right. Moving on to our last game of the week, Texas Tech 49, Houston 28. This one was back and forth for a while, and then uh, a punt block just kind of completely swung this in Tech's favor. Um, I picked Houston to win this one. I thought that their season was kind of, I won't say turning, but I thought that they 
kind of showed me enough and I was really worried about the kind of tech trajectory. And then I remembered they tech turns into Georgia at home and they (laughs) absolutely took control of this one. Um, Late Taj Brooks finished with a a really good game on the ground and Donovan Smith kind of got, I don't want to say rattled in the second half, but like he definitely looked more uncomfortable in the second half. Uh, Tech decided just to kind of lean on that Houston front and they just kind of, it wasn't the flashiest game from Tech offensively, but it was just enough. And uh, I was listening to the press conference afterward and Dana was just saying like, that's big 12 football. And so I wonder, like, I'm starting to wonder if Houston, Houston's guys right now, as is their roster is built for this type of game for 60 minutes right they're used to being the bigger team that can kind of lean on these play uh, in the AAC and they can kind of wear teams out and I'm wondering if whether it's a conditioning thing or just the talent right now with this roster if they're just not used to playing because remember this this game was close last year too right uh Tech versus Houston but that's kind of a, that was a one-off for Houston right okay cool get Tech out of the way let's play ECU um I don't know. I'm wondering right now because the second half was so stark in how they just got completely bullied um, and offensively couldn't move the ball. So I don't know. Um, That's kind of a theory that I'm having right now because Dana, I don't know if I read too much into what Dana was saying, but he was more like, that's big tall ball. Like we got to be able to play for 60 minutes. Um, And so I'm wondering if he's starting to come to that realization that we're kind of the, the durability right now may not be what it needs to be. Yeah, I think if you gave Holgerson truth serum, he'd admit they have about 45 to 50 Big 12 caliber football players and about 30 guys on the roster who are still kind of American level football players. And they've lost about, I think, eight to 10 offensive linemen to the portal over the last two two cycles. Um, You know, they've had some some injuries up front. Those tech games were earlier in the year when they were non-conference teams. And so I think some of it's just attrition and you're starting to get into depth. Uh, but shout out to the pump Jack Posse Man. and uh, our guy, Kenny Perry, uh, two special teams. You know, they had a kickoff return for a touchdown early in the game and then, you know, return the punt block for a touchdown. That's 14 points right there. Yeah. By and the way, that was, uh, uh, that was low fungi too. Mm-hmm. The wide receiver getting yeah. in on the punt block. Yeah. And it's <laughs> well, you have it's his, a- you have his trophy on your desk, don't you? I do. Yeah. He needs to pick <laughs> up his, uh, his, uh, uh Whataburger super team trophy. <laughs> Yeah, it's a tw- it's a 21 point game and 14 of the points come off of special teams touchdowns right and so you know that was that was a big part of of this football game it, it's obviously a three phase game um for a reason but yeah i mean tech at home is a different monster mm-hmm. than tech on the road i mean tech is 8 and 2 at home the only losses are, are baylor last year and then to to oregon this year um, but they're 1 and 6 on the road and so you know now we look at this red raider team and if you go and look at their schedule um, all their tough games are at home. You know, they play like Kansas State, TCU uh, at home. They do play Texas on the road, but they get Baylor. I want to say BYU, like some winnable football games on the road, right? And so um, we're going to have to figure out what the Tech team is moving forward. But I thought Baron Morton looked pretty good, uh, but really it was the running game. Like it yeah. finally seemed like Tech, Tech's offensive line, we've been, like I don't, like, I, I can only say the same things over and over for so many years now, right. but the tech offensive line is so much better at going forward than they are at pass pro. Like they're just better at run blocking than they are at pass pro. Um, and so like when you just allow them to go mush people, you know, they're, they're pretty decent and you're able to do that against Houston. Cause as we mentioned, Houston isn't as big or as physical or as deep as a lot of these big 12 defensive lines yet, yep. uh, but they struggle when they're just, you know, asked to like pass block for 40 snaps a game. 
Um, I'm very interested to see kind of what this Texas Tech team becomes uh, down the stretch because the inconsistencies are alarming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the upside seems to be when they start putting it together, you're like, oh, okay, well, that's that's a pretty good football team. And so I don't know what Houston is. You know, I think this is kind of a gap year for Houston, you know, and so, you know, I don't know, you know, TCU just lost to that West Virginia team as well. So like, is that that bad of a loss? Oregon's, a, you know, maybe a top five team in the country. So yeah. is that that bad of a loss? You know, Wyoming was tied with with Texas in the fourth quarter. Is that that bad of a loss? Um, there's just a lot of stuff we still don't know about Tech five weeks into the season. It may be the team I know the least amount about right. five weeks into the season just because of just the variance, the record, the teams that they've played, and, and just how Jekyll and Hyde they are home versus away. Yeah, Jekyll and Hyde will definitely come home to roost next week because, like you mentioned, they go to Baylor. And uh, we'll see because maybe Baylor's turned their season around or figured something out with that win yesterday. We'll talk more about that in a bit. But I've that all of a sudden becomes a very intriguing game to where maybe I was, like, not as intrigued by it uh, a couple days ago. All right, let's move on to the power pole. We're starting at the bottom. Um Sad times in El Paso right now. Uh, La Tech, Louisiana Tech, 24. UTEP, 10. Um, this is... I don't know what to think. Like, uh, Gavin Hardison didn't play, but it didn't really matter. I don't know. Like, let me put it this way. Gavin, the fact that I think Gavin Hardison's been by far the best option they've had at quarterback is kind of a problem. I think he's a good quarterback. A, a, a fine quarterback. When you take him out and the offense completely falls off a cliff and you're running out three different quarterbacks and you kind of don't have any depth behind him, we saw what every other team in the state, whenever we've had questions about quarterback, they've all gotten and gotten gone and gotten somebody else, right? Whether it's somebody good enough to to like when we had questions about Blake Shapin, they went and got Sawyer Robertson. I think Blake Shapin's better than Sawyer Robertson, but they got somebody to maybe make it an interesting conversation, right? Um, I don't know. I this is this is only a this is only a, a microcosm of everything. The offensive line still not very good. The running game outside of Deion Hankins just has not been what they needed it to be, and it's starting to look like midnight for this program right now under this under this staff yeah to me this is more a schematic than personnel you know i think gavin hardest gavin hardison's got one of the best arms of any quarterback in the state i mean when when he's had good wide receivers and they've been able to push the ball down the field like gavin hardison's one of the better quarterbacks in utep history statistically wise right i mean like Mm -hmm. they're not going to go get you know quinn ewers or something right like they're they're pretty limited in who they can go pick up but I, i don't i don't i haven't seen this as like a quarterback problem the head coach is the offensive coordinator. He's calling plays like the buck stops there. Like it just sure. does. That's they, they're averaging 12 points a game in conference USA play. They haven't scored over 28 points this year. Like those are marks in college football. They just do now you score over 30 points a game now. Like that's just, that's what you do. You should be scoring, you're scoring points. And so, or at least a, a, a couple games, <laughs> right? Like you should, ex- you should be able to explode for, for some, for some points on, you know, you should score over 28 on incarnate word. You should right. score more than 28 on, uh unlv you should score uh more than you know 14 against jack state that we just saw sam houston who couldn't score at all you know right. put up 28 points in the in the in the or 21 points in the first half against them and so to me we've talked about this with other teams too 
I always look at head coaches and their side of the football. If you are five or six years into your tenure and the side of the football that you were in charge of or that you were hired to, to kind of help because that's your background isn't good, well, then the alarms need to be sounded. If Baylor's defense isn't good, that's an issue. Dave Aranda is a defensive coach. If Steve Sarkeesian's offense isn't good, that's an issue. Steve Sarkeesian's an offensive coach. We don't think of Dana Dimmel as a Dana Holgerson or a Sonny Dykes or Steve Sarkeesian, but he is an offensive right. coordinator. He is still calling football plays. Sure. Um, and and this year, and I think in a lot of turn, like a lot of last year, um, they just have not been explosive on offense. They have not scored enough points, and you cannot ask your defense. Uh, to be that good in Conference USA, you're not you're not fielding the Aggies defense or the Texas defense with that kind of talent. You're not going to keep all of these teams to 17, 14 points. You just can't win that that way yeah. at that level. They have to figure out a way to be better offensively. And I don't know if it's just Hardison. Uh, I think it's it's also a, a schematic situation. It's just they're just not it's not imaginative. Sure. No, I get it. It's very it's very. I mean. It's very Bill Snyder, right? It's very much right. we're going to work. It does with the guy. feel it feels like you're watching something from 20 years ago, right? Exactly. And I think that I, I mean, we can move on. There's not much to talk about here, but like I guess when they when they promoted Scotty O'Hara, I was a little bit more optimistic that they would open it up because the position he was overlooking was one of their most successful positions, and you were like, okay, let's expand this guy's responsibilities a little bit. And yeah, it really hasn't. They've and it, maybe it's because of the personnel of the wide receiver, but they haven't expanded at all, right? Despite elevating him, so. Um, and yeah, UTEP, it's... UTEP's one in five. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know how they get to three. I was about to say it's it's looking very bad because they're start. We I mean, we they, thought, and we can talk they, about Sam Houston in a bit as well. We're we're about to talk about Sam Houston when they got in a conference USA play. Okay, cool. Here's the the field of teams they're going to be able to beat and compete with. And it's like, I, man, they, La Tech is not a world beater, and they really weren't in that game. So. I mean, they go to they go to FIU, and I believe UTEP's like one in twenty six on the Eastern time zone right. historically. So that one that one's going to be a trouble. Two of their three home games left are Liberty and Western Kentucky. Yeah, um, the other one's a rivalry game against New Mexico State. Um, and so, I mean, all of a sudden, like a, a road game against Mid- Middle Tennessee in Week Twelve is kind of your your best possible shot left. But again, that's back on the East Coast, and that's been. A hard travel to because you know El Paso is a mountain time zone. That's a long trip, and so I'll, all I'll of a sudden you, you're looking at this team and at three and nine, two and ten is, is absolutely a possibility. I'll tell you when it happens. If we do get a change this year, it happens October 25th at Sam Houston. Sam Houston. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they lose that game. I there's no. I don't think there's any way coming back. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we can use this to transition to uh, the other game you were at this week: Jacksonville State 35, Sam Houston 28. I mean, man. <laughs> What a frustrating, frustrating outing. Um, this one, honestly, I watched this game and in at, in the, in the first half, this my only thoughts were, UTEP couldn't move the ball against this team, huh? Because because Keegan Shoemaker, all of a sudden, they were blocking for him. They were designing play, like they looked pretty good in the passing game. Um, and then, of course, in the second half, it again that offensive line is just not very good um jacksonville state was able to just kind of slowly wheedle its way back in and that fourth down I, it's one of those frustrating plays where there's a free rusher coming right at keegan shoemaker and he just kind of throws it and just kind of i don't know i thought it probably should have been a better ball but i mean again it's a free rusher coming at him in overtime so he kind of just had to throw it but you were at this game you know it looked like he had one 
one narrative and then all of a sudden Jacksonville State completely <laughs> swung that narrative and it was like actually nope we're back to where we started yeah I mean it was a good sign for Sam Houston that the offense looked good playing yeah. against light competition we were just you know we had no idea what that group looked like you're playing BYU an Air Force team by the way which is fantastic mm-hmm. and Houston in Houston who's a pretty good team they had 25 first downs and 443 yards in their first three games combined Mm. they had 25 first downs and 435 yards against jack state right and so like it does feel like the offense was able to unlock itself a little bit against conference competition they played much better they just don't have that depth to like really wear down a team and 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 outplay them and, and get through four quarters they were without their star running back they without their best wide receiver um, had a couple guys nicked up on the defensive side of the ball. Cause when that's the thing is when you play that hard of a non-conference schedule, you go into these games beat up, Banged up uh, yeah. and they definitely went into these, this game beat up after that Houston game last week. And so uh, it looked like it was going to be one of those historic memorable nights, right? Like first FBS game at Bowers uh, first conference USA game ever. You're up 21 to seven. You're cruising. Like everything looks, looks a lot of fun. Uh, and then Jack State just mounts that comeback. I mean, that game was over with a minute 11 left, right? They're up yeah. eight. Um, you know, you just got to stop. You, your best unit's out there. Like, that's who you want out there. Uh, yeah. You want your defense out there if you, if you got to come up with a stop, a minute 11 left. You know, credit to Jack State. They went and made football plays. They they had an excellent two-point conversion and then, you know, go and went in an overtime. I know that was heartbreaking for Keeler. I don't know if you caught kind of the Rich Rod and Keeler uh, handshake at, at midfield. Yeah, Rich Rod was like, man, that seems like, oh, great game. And Keeler was like, yeah, nah, I don't ever. <laughs> yeah, because like a lot of people thought that they got into an argument that it was testy right. because Rich Rod's obviously trying to tell Keeler something. Keeler doesn't want to hear it at right, all. Right, right. Uh, and then they break it down later and, and Rich Rod's like, you outplayed us and you outcoached us. And Keeler's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and just like walked away, you know? Because yeah. like, Keeler's not, this is the other thing that like we always worried about with Sam Houston. How do you go from competing for national championships to competing to be six and six? That's a change in fan base culture, uh, in alumni expectations and head coaching, you know, philosophy and scheme, just in a way that your players have to, you know, deal with this kind of stuff. Like this is mm-hmm. new territory for Sam Houston. They're not, they're not used to be an open like there used to be an eight and one and so yeah. um they're gonna have to kind of figure this out this is gonna be kind of a tough new you know you know era for bearcat football and, and you know the first year was always going to be tough i think a lot of people were overly optimistic on how this transition could happen and we're starting to see kind of like what the this is why why it's difficult like james madison is not real like that is not how it normally goes That's not how teams this is more usually how yeah, this is normally how an FCS yeah. team looks going into FBS. The sky isn't falling. It's just year one. Yep. No, I agree. Um, and I think if you want to take some silver lining, it is that the offense had a pulse and a good pulse against teams that they're probably the same size as for the first time this year. So um, moving on to the power poll, number 11, UNT. Again, like same story as what we saw, I think, earlier this year. Um, offense looks pretty good. They're finally running the ball again. Chandler Rogers is the quarterback that should be playing. Uh, I mean, for at least in the first half, honestly, I don't know. They kind of, I think, kind of let him back in. The defense let him back in a little bit. Yeah, I was about to say, I think they scored, AC scored in like the first like four plays or whatever. Um, (laughs) And I think it is just what it is this year, right? That's just going to, 
even though it's ACU, I know that's frustrating to say as an FCS team, but it, they just are, you're just going to have to score 40 points. Like that's just what it's going to have to be for this UNT team. Yeah. The offense um, is just going to pick up the slack for the defense. I mean, yeah, more just or how less. It is. Yeah. yeah right. More or less Um, that running. Uh, I will say I heard a name that I had not heard in a while. JV on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> for for ACU, I was like, oh man, I was like, oh, that's where he went and had over 140 yards on the ground. Um, unfortunately, yeah, I think the Cal game in this game shows that you could just run right over this team. <laughs> um, and so, I think if that's one thing to kind of put an put a put a pin in going forward is that keeping that offense off the field may be the blueprint to beating UNT because if they can just if teams can just get five, six, seven yards of carry then Chandler Rogers can't get the ball to Jamori Macklin and AO day. He can't run the ball. And it's like, that might be the blueprint. Cause right now it looks like, sure. Yeah. They can put up 35, 40 points. Um, but I don't know if teams are going to try to let them. I don't know if you can stop anybody. <laughs> I believe that North Texas can score 40 on nearly any team on their schedule. I also believe North Texas could allow 50 mm-hmm. to any team <laughs> remaining on their schedule. Abilene Christian averaged 5.2 yards of rush. Yeah. Yeah. That's not how it should look, guys. It nope. isn't. Um, now, I I commend Coach Morris for making defensive changes and um, trying to – I mean, he's not burying his head in the sand, right? Like, he's trying right. to figure figure something out schematically. But I think Ish is right. This is just what it is. Like, this is this is who your personnel is. This is what you rode into the offseason and into the season with. You knew it. You you practiced against it. You practiced with it. Um, I think it's just it shows why the portal shouldn't be the bugaboo, right? Yep. It shouldn't be the boogeyman of, of college football. If this team had gone in and addressed three or four spots defensively through the portal in a better way, imagine where this this mm-hmm. team could be. Because their offense is really good. Like that like Eric Morris coaches a game. Eric Morris is going to score some points. Like that, like that's that's what it is. Um, and if that defense can catch up, they're they're a pretty formidable team that could upset. Like if they had the defense has a good performance, or they face a team that offensively is having a bad, bad performance, they could they could upset. Like they could beat UTSA, right? Like the way UTSA is played offensively and stuff like that. Like I don't think North Texas is like dead in the water in the American. Right. Um, it's just gonna have it's gonna be fifty seven to fifty four. Hold your butts and and see who <laughs> gets the ball last type of thing, and that. That that can be scary for a fan base, but I just don't I don't think this far in, I just don't think there's anything you can do to change it. Sure. I get it. Um moving on in the power poll, UTSA was off this week. Um, but I did see a press conference heading into the off week from Jeff Trailer. Seems optimistic about Frank Harris and JT Clark heading into the first game against Temple. Um we'll see, of course. I think I yeah. think we I think we all you thought are they good? Are they more or less good to go, or probably the best they've been this year? You think? Yeah. Had Frank had like the Tennessee game been the conference championship game, Frank would have played, right? right? Like right. for for Harris, I think JT's is a little bit more complicated. Um, but for Harris, this is just going to be about like how much can you grin and bear it? Like yeah. it, that that's right. really what it's going to be. Like Trailer even said, like I don't think we're ever going to see him at full strength this year. That, that's what that Jeff said in a, in his press conference. Um, you're not going to see him at full speed, uh, but if he can just tough it out and just deal with the pain, I think he can play because you can't make turf toe worse. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I don't think a team needed a bye week more than UTSA right now. Um, moving on to number nine. Oh, we already talked about Houston. Um, all right, let's talk about the other crazy result. Uh, number eight, Baylor. Um, Baylor 36, 
UCF 35. This game was 35 to 7. And I was like, this team is done. This in the third quarter, done. right? Like this it's in the third done. quarter. <laughs> David Randa's done. I was like, this is all over. They're gonna get boat raced by a new team in the Big 12. And I, I don't man, I don't know what happened. Like this game just completely switches. Um they had that scoop and score that kind of really put things back in. Uh, I forgot who had the scoop and score, but they had this, it just complete, completely uh, swung the game. And I think that Blake Shapin, having Blake Shapin back, like changed so much. Obviously, they were down 35 to 7 when he was in the game, but they don't have a chance at this comeback without him in this game. And of course, Richard Reese kind of had his best game probably since uh, the start of the season. Monterey Baldwin like got they just I don't know what happened where did Monterey Baldwin come from like I've been expecting this type of game from him all year and then it just happens feed the studs man like it <laughs> Baylor finally got the ball to their best players and they went and scored 36 points but yeah, yeah. I, when this was 35 to 7 with what 80 I mean they didn't score it didn't, they didn't make it 35 10 until 320 left in the third quarter so like yeah, this yeah. this thing was done this thing was cooked like yep now, I think everybody who was on the Baylor beat, I mean, people in the press box at the Texas Over. game, we were trying to, we yeah. were coming up with names, you know, like <laughs> who, are, who, who are, who are potential replacements at Baylor? Like, what does this look like? Cause I mean, you can't, it's one thing to start one and five with four of those games being on the road, but you're down 35, seven against an, like a big 12 newcomer. Like you can't like, that's, yeah. that's it. That's, that's, that's the end of the cake. Right. Yep. And so uh, then all of a sudden you look down, it was 35, 33. Like what the hell happened? Like who, who, what, where? <laughs> Um, so yeah, that, that, uh, Caden Jenkins fumble return kind of really, really turned the corner. Um, but then when you have a passing game, it's amazing how that allows you to have a running game and then everything else kind of stems from there. Uh, this team needed belief. Like they needed something good to happen to them like in a bad bad way i think that goes for like aranda the team the assistant coach i think they were all having kind of a crisis of confidence Mm -hmm. Uh, to come back from a 28 point deficit to score 29 in a row to you know i think that was their biggest comeback win in in program history Mm -hmm. you're still two and three but that's so far from one and four like all of a sudden you go and you beat tech at home who can't play on the road and you're three and three with games against Cincinnati, Iowa state and Houston to follow. Like mm. folks, we could live in a world where like Baylor's six and three going into their last three, yeah. you know what I mean? And so like, it's just crazy. That's my favorite thing about college football uh, in a press box. You can go from literally, literally coming up with names to come yeah. up with like a possible replacements for Dave Aranda Baylor to like, I can see them being six and three after nine weeks. You know what I mean? Like that, that's how wild this stuff can change. Uh, I am happy for Blake Shapin because it feels like he was always like this staff trusted him so much. They let Gary Bohannon just leave. Right. And mm-hmm. it didn't work out well last year. And then he gets injured this year and he, it just, he's showing the player that he is and why this Baylor staff trusted him and kind of what he can do uh, for this football team. But it'll be amazing to see if this is just one of those, Hey, you remember when Baylor came back from 28 points down and they're still four and eight and like, like, or if it's one of those where like, that is like the Bo Davis speech of Texas, if Baylor football, right. Where it's like, you can look at that as the fulcrum when this thing turned around, Aranda saved his job and the bears went on to play in a bowl game or whatever happens uh, going forward.
Yeah, yeah. Someone, someone tweeted that Dave Aranda was fired and rehired all in the same quarter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. Exactly. The boosters, the boosters are all like, all right, where's the bio money? And now they're like, well, it's transfer portal money now. Like, right. Right. Needs more players. Yeah. We already raised it. We raised it in the third quarter. Let's give it to somebody. Yeah. One stat, you know, we shoot? always, I, uh, we traditionally love to reference the the middle eight plays. Of course, the first, the final four drives of the first and uh, the second, uh, first four drive of the second half. <laughs> UCF ran 14 plays and Baylor ran one in the middle eight, in the middle eight, and Baylor won. <laughs> right? That's insanely stupid. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that UCF that's UCF was averaging fewer yards per play than they were per rush in the first half. That's awesome. They averaged 13.1 yards a run in the first half. I will say, I thought this was about to be a nightmare finish when Timmy McClain converted that for, that fourth oh down. My God. I was like, what is happening? Like at I first like, I was how like, did oh, Baylor this, let this, that happen? Yeah, like I was like, oh, this is a freshman or sophomore, I guess, making a crazy play, trying to just like do something. He's gonna ruin it here, safety or whatever. And then he just completes it. And I was like, oh, this is happening. Isn't <laughs> it? I, was, I thought it was about to be nightmare scenario, but luckily they're able to hold on because that was one of the freakiest plays I think we'll ever see in college football this That's year. Insane. Yeah. All right. Uh Texas Tech talked about them. Uh, those are, all right, Rice. Um, I mean, look, they busted out the we we said you bust out those uniforms. It was the same thing with Houston early in the year. You bust out those uniforms, you better win, and they won 24-17 over ECU. Um, I, all of a sudden, Rice is looking pretty feisty in the AAC. Like this is a team that like they got UConn coming up, they got Tulsa coming up. Tulane all of a sudden doesn't look like a world beater. Like they look beatable. Um. You know, UAB, a bad UAB team was very much in that game against Tulane. Uh, look, are we looking at a Rice team that, uh, I mean, obviously they're flexing some swagger right now with their social media presence, but like, are we looking at a Rice team that's like, I don't want to say a contender, I'm not saying contender in the AAC, I still think that's very much maybe just above their tier, but yeah. a team that could really make some noise. I thought you were gonna go there. I thought you were really not, gonna pull the no, lever. No, I'm not. Listen, <laughs> listen. There's there's a tier, and then there's a tier below. The hoodie's not Rice that intense that, yet. <laughs> I think potentially Rice is the top of that next tier. Potentially, I'm not saying they are, but that's where I'm thinking they are right now. I mean, Rice has maybe the best quarterback in the American right now. Yeah, we'll talk about SMU in a bit, but yeah, like I think so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just from a pure, I mean, he doesn't have all the talent around him. He's not asked to do the same things that, that sure. maybe a Preston Stone is, is able to do. But, like, you know, with Frank Harris being injured and, and Tulane's quarterback being injured, and, uh, you know, I, I think JT Daniels is as good as you can get. Um, and, and especially and, with and, how Rice's run game is not bit, like, he's still putting up numbers. Like, people know yeah. they're going to throw the ball right now, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, he's he's leading their offense. Like, he is the reason that they have, you know, three wins. The defense hasn't been great. They played better. Uh, on Saturday, but you know, they've been winning with the passing game and he's been, he's been awesome. He's been everything advertised. He, he definitely, you know, there's jokes, you know, he's on his fourth school and you know, right. Bloomgren's been chasing him for like nine years and stuff, you know, there was all that kind of stuff. Uh, but he's, he's definitely lived up to the billing. He's made this rice team, you know, more than adequate, right? Like he, that was the band aid that this team needed. Uh, and that's starting to, to play, uh, to play out. The next two weeks are super important for Rice because they still have that three-game kind of SMU, Tulane, UTSA deal in, in the middle there. Um, but if they can get to, to four, maybe even five wins by the time that stretch starts, you know, they end with uh, Charlotte and FAU. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just, this is a race to get to six or seven wins, right? Like uh, if they can get to six and six, seven and five, then I, you know, I think it's, that's proof of concept for Bloomgren in this group going forward to, to get more years, but they held on late, you know, they could have collapsed, you know, all of a sudden it was tight. It felt like they were controlling the whole game. And then all of a sudden it's 17 to 17 uh, yeah. after the two point conversion. And then they go and they score again. And then the defense holds up. That's a big time win for rice. It's a, a you know, to, to come back uh, from the loss the week before at South Florida, and to win that football game at home is pretty impressive. Yep. I think that was a Landon Ransom goals who had the the 44 yard touchdown that ended up being the game winner for them. So all of a sudden, yeah, Rice is looking really good. All right. Uh, let's talk about the team. I just referenced a little bit. Uh, SMU, uh, SMU 34, Charlotte 16. We talked about it a little bit. I don't, uh, I saw SMU in the first game of the year against La Tech. And Rhett Lashley openly said at that point, yeah, I'm not doing anything crazy with this game and the play calling is not very inventive. All right. We're how many games in the season? And it still looks like he's not doing anything crazy. And the offense still doesn't look very inventive. Um, I was looking up some stats because you mentioned how SMU's SMU just does not, they're not stretching the field, like whether it's a personnel issue or just, they don't trust Preston Stone or whatever. I was looking up some numbers just to see what happened. Yards per play, or no, sorry, yards per attempt this year. <clears throat> They're 103rd. Yeah. 6.3 yards per attempt down from 8.1 last year, right? 8.1 would firmly put them in the top 10, 15 in the country. Um, from passing yards per game, four or sorry, to, uh, yards per game, 403. They were 470 last year, right? Um, I think one of the biggest differences, in my opinion, is they're running the ball a lot better, right? And so maybe they don't see yards per play. I think they're they're up they're they're up a yard or two in running in yards per rush. So I don't know if this is just like a boringification of a team to like control games more or what, but I think. I posted in the Slack because we had this discussion yesterday and you can kind of go into your side as well, Craven. I think, I don't know if we're just like waiting for them to hit third, fourth gear. And they're just like firmly saying we're cool in second for right now. Cause I don't know. I'm starting to like, I don't know. It'd be nice to see one explosive play (laughs) and I haven't. I know Rhett Lashley well enough to know that he he wants to go score more points. (laughs) Like I, I do know that he, I do. I do think you're partly right. I, I think some of this is to help the defense and to play a, a more sustainable, different type of football than maybe we're used to SMU playing. That mm-hmm. this is this is something that can last 13 weeks. You can't score 60 every single week. You True. need to have a defense. You need to have the run to run the football. And if you can run the football, you can help the defense. You don't give them as many drives to defend. All that kind of stuff. I totally get it. Yeah. Uh, but the SMU offense does not want to throw the ball 23 times and run it 38. They don't want their longest pass play to be 23 yards to a tight end. Uh, And then their second longest one to be 20 yards to a slot receiver. And that to me is the biggest difference between this SMU team sometimes. And I'm just as guilty of this. We forget how good these wide receivers are. Mm -hmm. I remember when when, uh, Jacob Cowling left UTEP, we we didn't know Mm -hmm. if they would continue the explosive offensive play. I think a lot of people thought when Quentin Johnson left TCU, the Horn Frogs were just going to be as explosive as can be because, you know, they got forced. There's Savion Williams there. They got freaks over there. They'll be fine. Yeah. Rasheed Rice leaves SMU. We think the same thing. Nathaniel Dell at Houston is another example of this. Yeah. 
they don't have an outside weapon like that. Yeah. Jordan Curley hasn't been that guy. He had one catch for, for one yard yesterday. Jordan Hudson hasn't become that guy. Yes. Mm-hmm. He had two catches for 19 yards yesterday. Uh, Mookie Dixon, uh, Moochie Dixon, one catch for 13 yards. Their leading receivers are a tight end and a slot receiver. Like that, yeah. That's just what they've become offensively. And I think that's forced Lashley to run the ball maybe even more than, than he, and I don't think that he, I don't think Lashley dislikes the amount of times they've run the football. Sure. I think he just dis, dislikes the explosiveness, the explosiveness in the passing game. Mm-hmm. He's fine with 38 runs and 23 passes. If those 14 completions go for 280 yards, because there's some big plays in there and that running game is opening up the passing game. But yeah. right now it doesn't feel like their run game is opening up any type of vertical threat or anything, because it doesn't seem like they have much of a vertical threat. And if you can't get the ball downfield against Charlotte, it's hard to believe that you're going to get the ball downfield against, you know, some of the better teams in the American, even if, you know, those aren't on their schedule necessarily uh, this year. Yeah. I was going to say, I think that they have a bunch of really, I think really good receivers, right? I think really good. And they're missing the Rasheed Rice. I think we underestimated how great Rasheed Rice was. Cause like you take any of the Roderick Daniels, Jake Bailey, Moochie Dixon, Jordan Hudson, they're starting on almost any team in the state, right? Like any of those guys, at least on the two deep and the three, whatever, like they're starting in one of the slots. Uh, RJ Maryland, probably a starting tight end somewhere, basically everywhere, but Texas probably right now. Um, But they don't have that guy who's by far better than all of them. And I am curious if he's still there, if this is a spot where maybe we look for a big portal splash, right? Do they make, some you know where we kind of saw uh tcu make a play for jp richardson or jojo right do they try to get a bama guy who's like a, a, an adonai mitchell right i'm not saying they can pull him from texas but i'm saying that caliber of guy maybe i don't know because right now they're looking to rj maryland for their big play and i like rj maryland he's really good i think he'll be a future potentially future nfl player in a couple of years but you yeah. know he's still a sophomore right he was playing at south lake carroll two years ago um so they're kind of looking for him to be that guy so I still think, again, team's firmly one of the favorites in the AAC, um, but I do think it maybe looks as far as – I think it's coming to roost in terms of our expectations of them being maybe this New Year's Six team uh, that's kind of like knocking on the door of like potentially something really, really special, um, which, again, those were lofty expectation, expectations anyway. All the goals are still in front of them. They still have a very, very favorable schedule. Um, ECU, Temple, Tulsa – and then they should be favored, I mean, the rest of the year, basically. So I'm not saying that they're not going to be as good as, uh, the record's not going to be as good as we thought, but maybe just the team on the field, you know, maybe a couple notches down. All right, uh, we talked about TCU. All right, let's talk. Let's talk Texas State. Um, this was a did game we talk about. We, did not, we didn't talk about TCU yet. Oh, we did not, we did not talk about TCU. I'm trying to get to Texas State all of a sudden. I know, I was about um, to say. <laughs> trying to skip ahead. All right, jumping through. Um, all right. Yeah. Um, West Virginia 24, TCU 21. Uh, look, um, Arkansas fans tried to warn TCU. Yeah. <laughs> look, all of a sudden we were back in Kendall Brow's play calling discussion because one week after Chandler Morris has his best game, probably all of a sudden second half, I, th- I think I think uh, Matt Wilson from Between Two Bears. Oh no, sorry, this was a this was an Evan joint. Uh, Matt Wilson was crediting Evan with this quote. Uh, he said, "Kendall Bras is good for thirty when you need three. And y- this is yards, by the way. He's like, this is good for thirty when you need three. 
and three when you need 30. <laughs> that is the best way to put the Kendall Bryles offense yeah. in a nutshell. They would know. Yeah, I was about to say they would absolutely know. It's like, oh yeah, no, when you need when you when you're just looking for a short play, boom, here comes the explosive play. And then you need something to really gin this team up, and here comes a screen. <laughs> it's like, okay, like it's not it, we're ba- all of a sudden we're back to this discussion, right? Like we were talking about TCU being this potential this this third team in the Big 12, and maybe they still are, who knows? But then you put up 21 points against a team that's we were wondering if they're going to fire their coach at this point last year. <laughs> and it just becomes too much of the Chandler Morris show sometimes. Um, yeah. You know, it did against Colorado. It felt like it did uh, yesterday against West Virginia. They ran 79 plays. Chandler Morris was a, involved with 52 of them, you know, 41 as, as a yeah. passer, uh, 11 as a, as a runner. And they ran the ball less than they threw it, even though they were, you know, ahead going into halftime. They didn't score a point in the second half. Yeah. Um, and it did feel like times where Sonny Dykes was was pissed on the side, like looking down the sidelines at, at Morris and Bryles, both like what in the living crap? Yeah, because that's not what happens. Like, like with Max Duggan, Garrett Riley last year, they're not going a second half. We get shut out and they just needed a field goal or a touchdown. A field goal would have made that overtime. A touchdown would have won that football game in the second half. And they just couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, couldn't do it at all. Um, West Virginia is better than we thought they were going into the season. Obviously, they beat, yes. they've beaten Tech. They've now beaten TCU. Um, you know, I can't remember off. The, Ren Baker's going to get uh, going to get to not fire another guy. Like he's <laughs> he's going to get to like hang on to 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 that a little bit longer as well. Yep. Um, but yeah, I just for me, I mean, the defense played okay. I mean, you gave up twenty four points at home, you should win. Right? You scored twenty one in the first half. Like you know, twenty four points should be a, should be enough defensively. Uh, but they just don't have a ton of explosiveness. The running game uh, didn't bail them out of, of anything yesterday. And it just, it had to be so hard. Like it had to be dink and dunk, you know, put 10, 15 play drive uh, in there and they just couldn't do it. Uh, so shout out to West Virginia and that defense. They've been, they've been a lot better this year than we thought they were going to be. Um, but I think there was a lot of people going into this year that were wondering what that offense would look like with Kendall Bryles, with Chandler Morris. And um, you know, they've lost two games now, you know, at home, uh, yeah. By three points in the regular season, and a lot of it has been, you know, offensive play calling. Even even that Colorado game where they they scored forty something points, it wasn't a clean forty. You yeah. know, like th- there was there was some the weird play calls and some turnovers, and so TCU doesn't have the margin of error uh, for that. They didn't even have it last year. They just didn't make a lot of errors, and they were they were able to win all of those 50-50 games. They've had more errors this year, and they're losing those 50-50 games. Yeah, just I think the, a good summary of like how this season's gone compared to last because you mentioned they had just the horseshoe luck last year. They tried something similar with the rush and the field goal on uh, late in the fourth quarter where, you know, last year, of course, that's how they beat Baylor. They just rushed the field goal, you know, down like 15 seconds. They tried it something similarly, except weirdly they had timeouts, but they chose to do it anyway. And field goal got blocked. <laughs> and then I think they had two blocked field goals in this one, right? And it's just like, it's just one of those where it's like, oh yeah, all that went your way last year, right? And so when you kind of put yourselves in these positions to where you need the things to go right this year and they're not, yeah, all of a sudden things are going back the other way. Maybe it's not, not everything is going wrong, but it's definitely back to that 50-50 that it wasn't last year. So yeah, we'll see going forward. Um, All right, Texas State. Look, there's not really, genuinely not much to talk about here. This team looked great. And then all of a sudden, every Texas State fan thought the sky was falling. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in the second half because all of a sudden uh a southern uh southern misses was 42 to 10 at one point in third quarter 
And then the weirdest play I think I've ever seen where TJ Finley almost gets sacked, gets the ball out, pitches it to Ishmati, who takes it 92 yards and then fumbles out the five and rolls out the back of the end zone for a touchback. (laughs) And all of a sudden, what would have been 49 to 10 eventually turns into 29 to or 36 to 42 because Southern Miss uses that to come back into the game. And finally, Tech State scores and puts the game on ice. Uh, I mean, Tepper tweeted out this is the most exciting team. And I think for all the wrong reasons, that's probably true because this game should have been over and all of a sudden it wasn't. Um, I do kind of have some issues about the defense. I mean, again, sure, 42 to 10, sure, whatever. But you let them come back into this game. And I was at the Jackson State game and that game didn't get put away till very late or not very late, but a lot later than you want against a FCS program. Look, similarly to UNT, obviously on a different scale because of how they started the year. I don't want to say this defense is going to get up, give up 30 or 40, but this offense is probably going to have to do its fair share. And I don't know if we're going to have a game like Baylor where they just completely dominate both ends. I just think that was Baylor really kind of getting punched in the mouth offensively and not really knowing how to respond to a defense that was kind of very aggressive. Um, now that there's tape on this defense, I do think this is an issue, not a major one, but I do think this will be a little bit of an issue if this team stumbles this year. I feel like, you know, that meme where like the guys at the hanging thing is like first time, you know, as yeah. about to get, <laughs> like yeah. that's what incarnate word fans are thinking right now. Cause this is kind yeah, of the, the this is kind of the experience, right? Like, I mean, when you, when you're so fast paced offensively and you're such a rhythm offense, like you can go from scoring 42 points in the first half to having a lot of three and outs and putting your defense on the field a bunch of times quickly. And that, that yep. seems to be uh, what's happened to Texas state this year when the offense has kind of gone into little comas. The mm-hmm. first half against Nevada, the second half here uh, against Southern Miss. I think the the important part one we need to say Texas State's four and one. Yeah. Uh, the, the, only two, the only the only two other teams a, first time since they last made the playoffs in the FCS thing in 05. Yeah, one. Um, yeah, first time a, a first year head coach. I think uh, Kef tweeted since like eighty three or something yep. like that. And so uh, the only other two teams with four wins or more right now in the state of Texas are Texas and Texas A and M. So like Texas State. They won four games total last year. So yes. like all of those are good things. The one negative, the one, this is a roster that is mostly new mm-hmm. that's coming together and guys that haven't had a whole lot of FBS success. And so it's hard to instill the four quarter. We're going to go out and just step on this team's throat into sure. that. Cause like, they're still trying to figure out if they're good enough for them. Like they're figuring yep. it out in real time, just like we are. I, I, I do think there's moments where they look around and they're like, man, we're at 42, 10. We're going to kill this. You know, like they're right. still, they're still, still trying to Killing learn themselves. the killer instinct and who they are and that they're good sure. enough to go do that. Um, and so I, I think if you can win while you figure that stuff out, if you can, if you can come back and beat Nevada and overcome that first half depth, if you can hang on to beat Southern Miss and come and overcome the second half woes, well, like at least you're winning as you kind of figure out how to be a four quarter football team. Uh, it could be much worse. They could be losing those football games as they become a four quarter football team. So I think this is mostly positive. This is mostly good stuff. Uh, but yeah, Texas State's going to have to win more games than not with their offense than with their defense. And some of that's a function of how they play offense, in my sure. opinion. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, a couple of the transfers that are just continuing to make a name for themselves. I mean, obviously, Ishmati from Houston Christian. I mean, honestly, we may be doing something on him very soon just because he, from Plano East, this guy had 
top level track speed, uh, ran a 10, six, I believe his junior year, senior year at the track. And he somehow fell through the cracks to HCU. And there now that tech States really made him one of the focal points of the offense. Uh, Joey Hobart's really established himself as kind of the go-to guy. Um, interesting journey. He was a go-to guy for Craig Stutzman out of Utah tech. Um, and he, he was at that 1400 yard receiver. And again, just kind of fell through the cracks and tech state scooped him up. Um, 370 yards on the year so far, uh, 126 against, uh, uh, Southern Miss. So, yeah, I mean, like you mentioned with UNT kind of avoiding the transfers, like they're carrying Texas state right now, obviously TJ Finley's another one. Um, that's just, yeah, just a lot of different guys making plays, but I do find it interesting that two FCS players are kind of the ones that are kind of being the, the linchpin of this offense so far. Where is Texas State's conference contention meter right now? I mean, I, the crazy thing is, and the West is not very good, right. genuinely. Um, the East, and what may end up happening, and I think we have to start talking about it now, four and one, they could host because the East might cannibalize itself, right? You have Coastal, you have App, and you have, um, and Coastal does not look like Coastal right now under Tim Beck. Um, I think they lost to George. Yeah, they're only two right now under Tim. Who would have thought? I was about to say Texas fans are like, huh? Yeah, I wonder how. Um, (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, Um, but yeah, they're zero and two right now, right? They lost to Georgia State and Georgia Southern. So the East is going to let me do a quick. I'm going to do a quick search on the standings right now because there could be a world where Texas State straight hosts the Sun Belt Championship because the West isn't as good and the East cannibalized itself. So right now you got in the East, James Madison, Marshall, and Georgia Southern. 2-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0. 2-0, 1-0, and 1-0. Texas State right now and Arkansas State, which I don't know how long that'll stay, are both 1-0. I I see four teams in the East that could be one of the top two teams in the West easily. Like So I think that, that division is just going to cannibalize itself, and we'll see, man. I mean, yeah, it's I think the fact that they're in the West just helps. I think we're looking right now as like, um, I mean, this is a team firmly as a contender, like firmly, firmly based on who the rest of their division is. So we'll see next week. They got Louisiana. They go to Louisiana. Um, TJ Finley's return to, to his home state. So, yeah, all of a sudden we're not only looking at a contender, but a potentially a hope, which is crazy to say, potentially a conference championship hosting team uh, if things go right. So. All right. Yeah, it's uh, an amazing job being done. Amazing yeah. job being done. Because like we're job. we're 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 skipping just straight past even being bowl eligible. Right. No, hundred percent like that, the two that's wins. Like an, that's crazy. That's just an assumption at this point, you know? And, right. and to be going into week six going, well, Texas State's gonna get bowl eligible <laughs> is is insane. Like that, yeah. I, I think we need to like well we had what we have four or five the, in the magazine. What's that? We have oh, five and five. five and seven, I think. Five and seven. <laughs> yeah. It's barely October. Right. So yeah. yeah, and I usually give all the teams an extra win because of like you know, like sure. I'm just so far in the woods. I feel I was about like to say I, we're you know, all we're all drinking the juice. Like I I walk out of every spring practice or every spring like magazine meeting going I'm like man the owls yeah like they're, they got to figure <laughs> it out. Like I've been like over UTEP's win total by like thirty over the last two years. You know what I mean? Like uh, and so yeah, I mean I I think five and seven was optimistic and they're already they're already four and one uh, matching their win total. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's I I agree with you. I I think Texas State. Not only are they a contender for the Sun, I think I think they're the favorite to win the West. Like like you know like they're 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 a good football team. So you know That's and health crazy. is going to be a big part of it because that that always is you know at, at the G five level. But uh, yeah, just uh, 
I did, not a conversation I thought we'd be having right now. Not at all. Not at all. All right. Rounding it out. AM and Texas stay in there. One, two slots. Uh, so that'll do it for us. We'll get this up before NFL Sunday. Or I guess it's been London. I guess they play in London. So I guess there have been NFL Sunday going on, but who cares about Desmond Ritter? Um, that's been apparently been a bad game. Uh, according to Twitter, I think this weekend. All right. We got, we got some massive games coming up this weekend. Craven, mm-hmm. you are at Bama AM. Yes, sir. And then I believe Carter will be at Red River. Yeah. Um, I got the magazine coming up, but if not, I may try to make my way down to Waco because all of a sudden that's turning into a very interesting game. <laughs> um, again, we'll I'll, I'll see about the the basketball magazine workload. Regardless, I'll have my eyes on that game. Um, so if I'm not there in person, I will be I'll probably have something up just because there's gonna be a takeaway from that game. Regardless, um, go check out Craven's piece over. Uh, the Texas game yesterday, he put up his three thoughts. Uh, the four on one as well will be coming up later today. And uh, Naomi Brown was also on tap at AT&T, our intern, uh, talking about AM's win. And then Corey has his four downs from the F- uh, non-FBS um, and kind of a little bit of about UT Premium Basin kind of announcing itself as a conference contender. So go check out his piece as well. Uh, I'm trying to think we'll have more this week. I mean, hint, hint, I will have something on uh, TJ Finley coming up. I've been kind of working on something as he's returning home to Louisiana. So that'll be up. I'm hoping Wednesday and yeah, we'll keep it locked. A uh, power poll is updated. So go check out Craven's little blurbs on all the teams that he's updated um, and find out his reasoning behind all that. Uh, I'm trying to think what else? I think that's it. Uh, listen to everybody on Replica football as well on the network. Everybody will be putting out their recaps and previews for the upcoming week. And that'll do it for us. Uh, Rutgers, let me look quick search. Mallory, you got, oh, 50. Uh, four and one. I, I do sign. Like, you're over here, like, throwing up signs, <laughs> over gang signs on. on oh, a four and four one. one. <laughs> four and one. Uh, they, they won 52 to three over Wagner. So look at that. <laughs> Go Rutgers. And uh, Jimbo Fisher, please give us a call because. I don't know. You're good now. So I want to, we want to ask you about how good you are again. So uh, Jimbo Fisher, give us a call and go Rutgers as usual.